Welcome to Women Positively Aging, the podcast for women in midlife who want to live well for longer. I'm your host, Barbara Bray. I'm a PhD researcher in healthy aging diets at Queen's University Belfast in Northern Ireland, part of the UK. I'm passionate about living well for long days, woven into my research. And the reason I set up this podcast was to help people who are in midlife realize that there are things that we can do to improve the quality of our health as we age. Some of it is to do with genetics, some of it's to do with the environment, but there is some good news there about our lifestyle choices and behaviours, things that we can do just to inch closer to having a healthier lifestyle once you take away some of the wider environmental and genetic factors. Season two of this podcast builds on season one, where we'll be looking at specific areas such as bone health and weight management, things that have been bothering women probably didn't want to talk about them or didn't know the right source of information to look for. I invite experts, but also people with lived experience to share their experiences and tell their stories that you can learn from them as well. I do look forward to getting new listeners to the podcast and engaging with you either on social media or sending me messages on my website. And please do subscribe to the podcast so you get to find out when new episodes are released. Thank you very much and enjoy the podcast. Welcome to this episode of Women Positively Aging, where we're talking about bone health. As we age from midlife, we lose muscle mass and our bone strength gradually declines. Keeping our bone health for as long as possible is important to prevent us from becoming frail. And what does bone health mean? It's about keeping your bones healthy for life so that you can live well for longer. Good bone health can prevent fractures and the health consequences of this. For example, pain, disability, loss of independence and poor quality of life. How do we maintain good bone health as we age? Is it possible for us to reduce the risk of damage and fractures? To answer these questions and share advice and experiences, I've invited Tanya Grenade and Alia Porter. Tanya is a freelance associate nutritionist specialising in science communication and bone health and is a volunteer with the Royal Osteoporosis Society. Alia is a freelance registered nutritionist who has a family history of osteoporosis, a debilitating health condition that weakens the bones and causes them to break. Alia works with clients of all ages to improve their nutrition without breaking the bank or chaining them to the kitchen. Welcome to the show, Tanya and Alia. Hiya. Hello, lovely to be here. Great to have you here. And Tanya, we've been looking forward to recording this for a while. I've been following you, stalking you on social media and reading your helpful tips on bone health. And the listeners to this show are typically around 40 years old and over. So my question to you is, are we still in good time to help our bone health? Um, The quick answer is yes, which is good news for everybody that's listening, because prevention is really important. And throughout life, this can be done. But if we are over 40, there's some things that we should be focusing on to make sure that our bone health can be maintained through the rest of our life. So for women, importantly, and women tend to have smaller bones than men. And this usually this change happens around puberty. And so because of this and also because of the menopause, like bone loss happens 
quickly, especially around um, the age of 50, when the protective effects of estrogen can be lost with the start of the menopause. Additionally, women tend to live longer than men. And so because of that, they're more likely to live with lower bone strength, which comes with age. So it's not some great news, but there is something that we can do about it. (laughs) Thanks for that, Tanya. And Alia, just coming to you now, what can you tell us about the onset of osteoporosis in your mother's case and your grandmother? It's actually my grandmother and great-grandmother. I discovered fairly recently. Grandma, sorry, and (laughs) great-grandmother. Yeah, it wasn't talked about my great-grandma until I asked my mum recently about, about this. Um, so in my great-grandma's case, the first sign of um, osteoporosis was that she fell hanging curtains at the age of 80. So um, she was a, an active woman. This was in the 19, early 1960s. Um, and the doctor said it wasn't the fall that caused the break um, in her femur. It was actually the break that caused the fall. Um, so her bones were obviously quite fragile. Um my grandma's case, she was actually hit by a motorbike um, as a younger adult. So she always had issues with her back. So um, we were not entirely sure what the first sort of symptoms were, but she did fall and break her hip. Um, and for my mum, she was more proactive um, in terms of, uh, she knew about her family history and um, in terms of getting support. So the first um, in indication was a DEXA scan when she went through early menopause in her early 40s. Um and the DEXA scan revealed, revealed that she was osteopenic, um, so the precursor before osteoporosis. Um, but she didn't have any symptoms at that point that she could identify. Gosh, so that's quite a story, isn't it? Going from one generation to the next, to the next, to the next. But it's good that your mother at least had the opportunity to do something proactive about it. But thanks for sharing that story. We will come back to you with a few more questions about about your family history. And Tanya, what I'd like to hear from you about is really a bit more about the changes that we might notice as we age. So if you think back to what Ali has just been talking about her grandma, literally, you know, it was the break that caused the fall. We don't really want to get to that point where we suddenly identify that there's an issue. Is there anything that we can look out for, anything that we can do beforehand? Yeah, sure. But um, just going back to what Ali has said as well, it's usually when people do have osteoporosis, the first symptom they have is the first break, which is painful and it's shocking at the same time. But um, early signs and symptoms can be things like aches and pains. You could have a lot of back pains. You could be a loss of height. So that could be a curved back as well. And that's known as kyphosis. So these, if you look out for these symptoms, loss of height, curved back, back pain, you can go to your doctors and you can talk to them about it and tell them your symptoms. That's great. So at least those are some key things that we start to notice. And in fact, we do notice that people shrink as they get older. So is there a difference, a key difference between that and what you were saying with the curved back and, and the loss of height there? Or is it actually the same thing? It can be the same thing because I think as a good example as well, like with my mum, when she she was well, she's getting well, she is quite old now. I thought that sounds terrible. She's gonna be my mum will kill me. Um my mum is is um an older lady now and um 
as you get older, you do lose height. And I think one of the things that does happen with osteoporosis, and I've heard from a lot of people in my group, is you think that aches and pains and these bodily changes, they are part of aging, which they are. But there's a difference in the pain and the severity of the symptoms and the way you feel within yourself. Because a lot of the time, and people in the group have mentioned this as well. They, they sense that something's not right, that this pain isn't going away. Um, they feel very uncomfortable, like all the time they've been taking painkillers, nothing's helping. And they, and in those cases, it's important to go to your doctors, tell them about your symptoms and also tell them about family history. So if you do feel like you have symptoms of osteoporosis or osteopenia, which is precursor to osteoporosis, it's a good idea to go to your doctors. So if you do go to your doctors, tell them your symptoms and then hopefully they'll be able to refer you for a DEXA scan. So this will be a scan where they will measure the density of your bones and from there you'll get a T-score, which will let you know the strength of your bones based on which will be compared to a young adult of about 20 years old. So from there with your T-score, you'll have a diagnosis and then you could be referred to the fracture liaison service, which is a service with um, specialized nurses where they will support you, especially with any fractures or fracture prevention in particular um, through, throughout your throughout the time that you're with them. But unfortunately, with the Fracture Liaison Service, there isn't 100% coverage in the UK. So depending upon where you live, that service may or may not be available. But if it isn't available, you can always call the Royal Osteoporosis Nurses Helpline. Like they're, they're really great. They're very friendly. And extremely knowledgeable and any kind of question you don't have to have osteoporosis to call them you don't even have to have a problem any kind of question you have they'll take their time listen to you and answer you that's really helpful advice and uh, we do have listeners to this podcast who are outside of the UK so just to be clear that this what we're talking about now is currently applicable to the UK so in terms of the Royal Osteoporosis Society it's good to know that they have a number you can call and you can get expert help which in some cases could be crucial if um, you haven't been able to get that support from your local healthcare practitioner so, Ali, let's go back to you and, and your family. Can you tell us a bit more about the treatment that your ancestors, <laughs> your long family tree, have all had? <laughs> yeah, so my poor great-grandma didn't have any treatment. Um, in those days, if you broke a bone, you were told to rest, um, which is what we know now not great advice. Um, so she was an incredibly active woman. I mean, hanging curtains at the age of 80, as you can kind of tell, she was very active. But after the fall, she never walked again. Um, which was just really tragic for her, that kind of loss of um, being able to do anything and tragic for her family as well, um, both in terms of caring and also being able to do things um, for her family and with her family. And she actually lived till she was 92. So she still had a long life ahead of her, um, but just not able to walk. Um, so that was not good. <laughs> um, and then um, my grandma had better treatment, although still not 
great. Um, she fell in her 80s. The doctors said uh, it was just wear and tear, um, but she was in incredible pain. And so um, we actually managed to get her a second um, opinion um, privately, miles away, um, and that identified that she'd actually broken her hip. So, um, yeah, <laughs> a tip there, you know, if, you, if you're not sure whether, whether you've got the right advice, get a second opinion. Um, she was put on alandronic acid, um, which is a tra- treatment for osteoporosis. Um, and she lost a lot of height um, and eventually had both hips replaced. She was still fairly active, um, and but she was very stooped and that classic symptom that Tanya mentioned. And she, she died at 92 as well, so had a good long life. Um, um, as I said before, my mum's story is more proactive. Um, so her treatment has been better, in a sense. Um, I'll, I'll say why I said in a sense. Um, she went to the GP, as um, went, got the DEXA scan, was put on HRT because that can help reduce the um, the issues with loss of estrogen and therefore the issues around osteoporosis coming on quickly. Um, and then she was also given alandronic acid um, as well as calcium and vitamin D. Um, she was told to get a DEXA scan every two years, but she was also told that she had to book it herself. So not like regular kind of, you know, treatments where you're called in every two years. She was told she had to treat do it by herself. So she was good at doing that, but that was under one trust and another trust she moved because she moved house. Um, she was then told it had to be every five years, not every two. Um, so it's, there seems to be a discrepancy between trusts. Um she was also put on a drug holiday for alandronic acid because you can't be on it permanently. Um, and unfortunately, by the time the, the kind of restart happened, um, because of COVID, she actually missed the DEXA scan and she wasn't put back on the alandronic acid. Um, so she she kind of missed that and, and that led to more issues. And unfortunately, my mum also has um, multiple myeloma, which was the that was actually picked up on a blood test when her first DEXA scan as an indicator. Multiple myeloma is a bone cancer. Um, But those DEXA scans were also monitoring that. So the progression of that alongside the osteoporosis actually led to multiple spinal fractures. She's had 12 spinal fractures in total. So um, she's had, sorry, uh, she's had chiaplasty as well, which is a kind of rebuilding of the bones, sort of cementing in the spine, basically. Sounds crazy, but um, uh, yeah, as well as the the chemo. So it's it, there's a kind of overlap between the osteoporosis treatment and the multiple myeloma treatment. Gosh, that really is a difficult story to listen to because, you know, it's hard to watch a parent getting older as it is, but to see them going through all of that when some of it could possibly be prevented, it, it's... And so fast as well, the deterioration was very fast. Was it? So just yeah. through from the pandemic to now, that's been, it's almost been accelerated yeah. then. Yeah. Oh gosh, that's, that's difficult. And how do you feel then? Because obviously you've seen it go from generation to generation. What impact is that having on you? So it's, it's made me panic a bit, to be honest, <laughs> especially when I found out my great grandma had it too. Um, I'm in a slightly different position because I knew about, my mum knew about um, osteoporosis prevention when I was a child. So we were always told we needed to drink our milk. Um, so um, I think my peak bone mass um, was probably better than my grandma, my mum. Um, 
So the point and kind of my, my bones got to them most dense as my peak bone mass. And then because I'm a nutritionist, um, I try and practice what I preach. So um, doing um, exercise, um, weight bearing exercise, not smoking, not drinking um, to excess, um, not having too much salt, um, making sure I've got my calcium in there. Those are all things that I've been doing. So I feel like in terms of what I can do, I've done as much as I can do. Um, I have lost height, though. Um, and so I'm in the process of trying to find out whether I can get a DEXA scan. But when I've previously been to the GP about it, they've just told me I'm too young. Um, so um, I'm, I'm pushing for that. Um, and uh, I've had some very, like Tanya mentioned, the, the um, nurses at the Royal Osteoporosis Society, I've had some good advice from them. Um, and that's given me some confidence to <laughs> keep pushing. But yeah, it seems to be a, a, an illness that you do have to really push to get treatment. Gosh, that is difficult. I wish you well with managing that because obviously, like you said, you're trying to do the best that you can. But I'm just going to go back to Tanya because Alia talked about some interesting things there, not just about getting the early diagnosis and treatment, but also about her diet. So if you have got a family history, how much help is that? And for people who haven't got a family history, what really is the difference in risk factor by managing your diet? What impact would that have? For both, I would say whether you have a family history or you don't, like exercise and diet has an important role to play in building your bone strength because it's approximately 60 to 80% of your risk of osteoporosis is down to genetics, then the rest, which is like 40 to 20 to 40% is down to lifestyle factors, nutrition, like Alia mentioned, good diet, calcium, you know, et cetera, those kinds of things. So you, you can, those are the things that you can control because I do, I think I was talking the other day to somebody about it and I was saying it's like there's there's a lot of things you can't control like genetics, it's it's already there, it's already done. But the things that you can, like your diet and your, your lifestyle, your exercise, that's something you can do about, do something about. So like Alia said, you want to think about um, your diet, you want to think about your exercise. So when we talk about diet, we're talking about eating lots of fruit and veg, like at least do five a day, eating different colored fruit and veg as well, eat the rainbow. When you're eating your calcium, like you want to have at least like three portions of calcium a day. So that could be um, like a glass of milk, a portion of cheese and your yogurt if you like reducing salt like Ali said really important because people who eat a lot of salt we know you lose more calcium in their urine limiting fizzy drinks um if you need supplements especially vitamin d is very important because that can help with calcium absorption so a vitamin d supplement is really good all year round can i just interrupt you on that one so is it vitamin d combined with calcium do you have to take the two together to make it more effective um, no, not necessarily. Um, what is recommended or has, what I've been reading as well from the Royal Osteoporosis Society is they recommend that you take um, 10 micrograms a day because that's the recommended amount for adults in the UK. So taking that along with the cal- recommended calcium a day, which I think is 700 milligrams a day for adults, that should be enough. But if you do have osteoporosis, 
again, you'd, you'd have to get advice from your practitioner, but it's recommended a thousand micro, mil, pardon me, a thousand micro, milligrams a day. So it, it depends, but at least aim for, I think the least you should try and take is 400. If, if you're finding it difficult to get it in your diet, you're better off getting some rather than none. Well, like you say, it's getting guidance from your practitioner. And then on the exercise kind of things, because obviously different types of exercise are going to be relevant. So what's the, the advice for exercise as you age? Um, exercise, um, I will say it, it depends upon as well, like what are you, what can you do, what you're able to do, what you're comfortable doing, what do you have time to do? Because um Ali mentioned it as well about resistance exercise and weight bearing exercises. So these are the types of exercise where you're using your body weight and you can feel a push and a pull. So it could be something as simple as like lifting weights, carrying heavy shopping bags, or it could be something like squats. Uh, so there's, there's quite a few different things you can do. And then different types of exercises can help you in different ways so you have exercises that will keep you steady so that's um, exercises that are um, focused on balance and muscle strength so these could be just simple things like um, standing on your tiptoes balancing on one leg yoga those kinds where you have to like hold positions and you know and it's core muscle strength is really important great balance will you know help prevent falls in the future so that has a really important role and then you'll have exercises which will help you become strong so exercises like this which will be weight bearing exercises this will help increase your muscle intensity so strong muscles strong bones because they both work together so we're talking about again like things like weights things like jumping things like skipping Things like um, if you if you're having trouble, like um, if you have had um, osteoporotic fractures or you're worried about that, you could do th- even like walking. Walking is a good basic place to start. It's like low impact. And then another thing we mentioned before as well about the losing height and curved back kyphosis. Um, another type of exercise you can do is try to keep your body straight. Like posture is really important. So straight exercises that help keep you straight so that would be exercises which help with back and muscle strength and this will help improve your posture and help reduce your back pain so again this can be things like yoga swimming pilates those kinds of like more gentle exercises and you know even yourself like just thinking like when you're sitting about your posture and lifting up your like pulling yourself up from the top just that in itself, like avoiding rounded shoulders can just help with your with your back and your posture and the comfort and reducing pain. That's really important because on a day-to-day basis, you're never really thinking that your posture is saving you from further issues as you age. And by the time you do age and you've got the issues, it's too late to, to go backwards, isn't it? I think that's what we're, we're hearing from all of these comments today. I think we've we've learned quite a bit in this short space of time. I feel like I've been awash with information. So just to recap then, so we've talked about the ways that we can identify that we might have a problem. So it could either be through family history or it could just be through how we feel within our bodies. So generally midlife is when we're likely to start feeling some of those issues as we, you know, from mid thirties onwards. So we need to keep an eye out and, and listen to our bodies for any changes and and feel any changes and and think about what you need to do about them rather than think, oh, that's just part of aging. Don't be complacent. It's about taking action. And 
making sure you keep a note of what's happening so you can explain it well to your healthcare practitioner and say, this is what I'm experiencing and give them the information they need to be able to make the right or give you the right advice. And depending on where you live, decide whether you're going to get those scans and the follow-up service that you need. Then in terms of what you can do as an individual, that's again, the, the diet and exercise. So making sure you incorporate as many different things in your diet. So it's a wide and varied diet that's got all the fruits and vegetables, but also making sure sources of calcium, but making sure particularly that's the vitamin D supplement in there as well. That goes for everybody, regardless of whether you're worried about bone health or not. But in the UK, we're not able to get access to enough sunlight. And most times of the year, I think even in the summer months between March and September, especially when you're darker skin. So people are my colour, so I'm quite West African black. It's practically impossible. So for me, it's an, a year-round thing, vitamin D supplements. And I think especially for my community, it's easy to to forget that's just one more thing but it makes a huge difference the last time I went to get my vitamin d measured the practice nurse was so excited she said oh you got the highest vitamin d level I've seen all year <laughs> I felt so proud so <laughs> it does work taking a vitamin d tablet it does work and then the resistance exercises. And I know from having my own bone problems that sometimes it's hard to go for long walks and do the types of exercises that you need to do, especially when you're more prone to injury. But we do know that the resistance bearing exercise helps. So I'll go, I was going to say round the room, but there are only two people to go round the room too. <laughs> I'll go to Alia, your take home points. What, what's all this experience taught you? I think to enjoy life um, and so you never know quite what, what's around the corner. Um, it's, it's taught me that with osteoporosis, you have to be proactive um, in, in chasing medical professionals and standing up for what you kind of need. Um, and the Royal Osteoporosis Society is a great place to help you get that confidence, get advice, listen to you, um, tell you not being crazy when you're <laughs> saying things. Um, and I think also from a, from a patient perspective, it's, um, it's really hard to experience that loss of being able to do things. Um, so getting support around that kind of mental side, um, and talking to your family about what that feels like. Um, we often think of it from the other side, the carer's side and the, the challenge it is to be a carer of someone with osteoporosis, but actually from a patient point of view, um, that's, that's really important that we listen to that too. Yes, that's, I'm glad you mentioned that because it is easy to get caught up in the, the kind of admin side and they're trying to move things along and forget there's a person at the centre of all this. So that that is really good. And thanks for that, Ali. I'll go back to Tanya and perhaps you can remind us a bit more about the Royal Osteoporosis Society as well as we go to close. Oh, yeah, sure. The Royal Osteoporosis Society is the UK's charity for osteoporosis and bone health. And they have a lot, like we mentioned, the osteoporosis nurses helpline as well um so if you need advice you can contact them very friendly very helpful the website as well has a lot of fact sheets a lot of pages a lot of exercise videos that you can watch which can show you how to do exercises properly 
there's a wealth of information there. They have um, talks online on YouTube as well, where you can watch different talks on different bone matters with different um, experts on different topics. So a wide range of things from if you just want to know a little bit about bone health or if there's something specific you want to know, you'll find the information there with the Royal Osteoporosis Society. Oh, thank you very much for that reminder. And Tony's been great at giving us a whole list of resources, which I'll put in the show notes as well. So thank you very much, Tanya, and thank you very much, Charlie. It's been really great to hear about your experiences and hear your knowledge on this topic. I'm sure it's going to be helpful to a lot of people. And as I mentioned in the show notes, not only do we have the Royal Osteoporosis Society website, we've got some links from Tanya on how you can access the nurses. This is obviously for if you're in the UK, but there's also some resources in there that you can use anywhere in the world so you can still get some information. And we've got one or two guides on the exercises in there as well. And if you want to obviously follow either Tanya or Alia or both of them on social media, they're they're on Twitter, YouTube, Facebook, um, and have their own websites as well. So if you want to get more information on nutrition and bone health in general, do get in touch with them. We'll put all of those in the show notes. Thank you again, both very much for joining me. It's been a real pleasure to talk to you. And yes, lots of love to you and your family, Alia. It's so sad to hear about the journey that you've all been on, but I'm really hoping that you're the one that's going to be able to escape a lot of the worst of it now you've started being so proactive and, and getting the support and the help that you need. Thank you for listening to this episode of Women Positively Aging. If you like what you've heard, please do click subscribe and you'll be notified of when the next episode lands on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and all the usual podcast players. Don't hesitate to contact me if you're also interested in hearing more about my healthy aging diet research. I'd love to work with businesses who are developing food products and looking at how they can improve them and target them towards people's needs as they age, but also organizations that want to help their employees who are in midlife improve the quality of their diets and inevitably how they will age and live well for longer. Thank you for listening and I look forward to having you on again when I have the next episode. Take care and stay well. Monkey Pants Productions Podcast.